So, who knew that the One Ring had a Westerosian equivalent? The One Ring? The One, the one ring. ring. You know, when you put it in the forge, it has writing that shows on the side of it. I see what you're doing here. I'm talking, of course, about ice, which met its end. <laughs> I'm dancing. You just can't see it. Let's thank Eric for that kind introduction, everybody. It's Game of Thrones. Thank you, Eric. Well, it opened... We thought it was going to open with a death, or we speculated that it was going to open with a death, and you know, it kind of did still. It was the death of a sword and the birth of two swords, two swords. of course, being the, 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 the episode title. But we only saw where one of them is going. Mm. So far. So mm. far. Mm. However, if you take a different translation uh, of that title, we did see two swords. In fact, we saw ice at the very beginning being broken down into two swords, and we saw a needle at the end of the episode. Oh, needle, needle, Book needle. ended needle. by swords. Yeah. Well, that's a good point, but also Arya and the Hound, who I feel were the stars of this episode— are two swords uh, alone in the world. All right, can I ask us where is our excitement? Because we just watched the first episode of season four, and this is our first show back. It is. I know that we didn't sing and dance before, but let's just say it. I like just our said first I was show dancing. back. Yeah, I mean, dancing. we need some more. Dancing. Like from the mask, right? Yeah, he that was doing some dancing. Oh, they call me Cuban Pete. I'm the king of the All right, well, that works. Okay. Guys, I was underwhelmed. Let me just put that out there. I, I I was I can't absolutely. This is going to be a great episode then because was, we're gonna we're gonna go toe to toe here. I mean, how could wow. you be underwhelmed? This, I well, <sighs> explain to me, and then I will. Are you uh, just trying continue. to piss the listeners off? Is that is that what's it's, happening? It's the first being, episode back here, and you're already saying you're underwhelmed. What was underwhelming? I'm not underwhelmed for the series for the season as a whole. I uh, let's not jump to conclusions here. And I hate to be this guy. I was this guy for uh, Harry Potter, Death of the Hallows. I hated this. I hated being this guy the whole time when everybody was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, I, I don't know. The passage of time has irked me. It's been, I guess, a couple weeks, and the dragons have grown like five times their their previous size. It, it bothers me just how much the dragons have grown. And, uh, you know, Khaleesi hasn't even made it to Marine yet. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the last she left the other city for... Well, she was Marine. crowd surfing at the end of the last episode. You got to give her some time to make her way to Marine. <laughs> it takes, it takes a long time, time to make it there. Crowd surf the whole are, way there. It's not like you know you can take a bus or a train or an airplane to get from one place to another, Eric. This hey, look, I Mike, I have foot. the maps. I have the maps. If in one season she can go from where she was in the on the on the coast with um uh, what's his face Meister Illyrio all the way to Vice Dothrak in a season, she can make it from. Uh, Yonkai to Marine in a couple days. But anyway, look, the dragons, they bother me. And clearly they have huge, important things to do this season that requires them being large. But in How terms do you know of they con- don't evolve like Pokemon? In continuity, it's <laughs> become, it's gone from Charmander to Charizard. It's completely yeah. skipped. No, it's, it's definitely Charmeleon. Charmeleon. No way. No way. Uh, eh, all right, all right. No. Well, Charmeleon had a little bit better flame. Yeah, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, it's, it's actually this episode. If I could just summarize it in one statement, what I didn't like it is that I, I felt that the mechanics had been more notice, were more vis- noticeable in this episode than they ever have been before. The, the plot mechanics moving forward, introducing new characters, it was a little rough, and I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, piss anyone off by saying that, but it, uh, it, it bothered me um, to the point of mentioning it on this show. So that's it, and you know, I'm lucky to have this forum where I can just 
voice it and two guys who will hopefully spend the next couple minutes taking me down uh for having said it no, so well mechanics. the listeners will 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 do that for us oh thank you thank you so much for yes, leaving me to uh, that. please <laughs> state your twitter name now so they can send yeah, it all your way it is uh spieler man <laughs> s-p-i-e-l-e-r-m-a-n hey i love an opportunity well, for let's start uh, at the very beginning here let's go well, it's a very good place to start Micah. to the <laughs> last time on game of thrones or previously on game of thrones right because we did go back extremely extremely far in time all the way back to seasons one and seasons two um if you look at the the very last scene that we saw was of course of ned having his head chopped off and we did get the scene with Lamy where he has needles stuck in his throat and yep. that obviously mirrored what happened at the end of this episode but i actually like that i i thought the fact that they were calling back to those previous scenes and they were including them in the opening sequence and then shifting right to tywin uh, you know, at the forge, breaking apart ice or or having the mason break apart ice and split it into two swords. Uh, it it was a callback. It was a throwback for fans to Ned and and to show exactly how much disdain the Lannisters, even still in season four, have for the Starks. Yeah. Um. The Ned bit was a little because it was part of it. Like it got silent, and it was a montage of somebody unsheathing a sword, and then somebody else entirely cutting off his head. I don't, I don't know. That was a little bit weird at the end there. But I, I visibly stated out loud uh, to a small group uh, who was watching it with me. I said, well, "The Lamy thing is in the previews. How the hell could that have a payoff in this episode?" And I was delightfully surprised um, by that, you know, kind of callback and payoff. So some of the things, you know, that they, they hint at, or they show in the beginning of the episode, that's supposed to have a relevance in this episode. You just, it just goes to show you can't really expect, uh, anything because you can be surprised. Well, I'm glad to see the payoff and it's good to see that the perspective and scope isn't limited to what is just to come. We're not shifting into a season four where so much of what is going to come and all the stuff with the bigger dragons and all of the stuff with what's happening beyond the wall and Bran's doing his stuff. Like, I'm glad that we are revisiting even Arya's journey north with Yoren. Yeah, well, yes. it is important for this particular episode. I, I think that it drives Arya's story even further along. And, you know, the fact that she is able to recall Polliver and mm. she has absolutely no reservations about going in to that inn or, or tavern, whatever you want to call it. And her intention fully 100 percent is not only to get her sword back, but it's to kill him. And that's why she goes in there. I was going to ask if it me, wasn't just to get her sword back. I don't think it was. I think yeah. the intention was. She was going to make him pay. He he has one of the names that are so often said, if if not as much in the show, definitely in the books, when she recants all of those people that she wants to kill. And, I mean, I just thought it was an epic scene. I mean, that whole yes. scene oh, yeah. with her and the Hound, from the moment they ride up to the moment they ride out, there was humor, there was sarcasm, there was bloodshed. <laughs> He got his awesome. chickens. He got his chickens and she got her pony. I mean, there's there's no better outcome that that could have had. But her actually killing Polliver was dramatic. It was uh, ironic. It was methodical. It was actually quite scary because we've seen her kill before. Uh, you know, rightly so. It was the guy who claimed to have staked uh, Rob's, uh, you know, direwolf side on, on, onto his body. And so he deserved it. Polliver, she has a closer relationship with, and, and, you know, her just recounting the scene, recounting his own words to him, 
and then killing him in the same way that he killed Lamy. She, she, you could tell that she obviously took it personally. Um, but she's becoming kind of, well, she's just a little too detached, you know, she's, she's not the little girl that she used to be. And, and, and good for her because that was totally badass. And I'm glad that we could finally get to talk about all of this because I feel like it's been rattling around in my mind for the good part of forever and capturing this fight scene. If we could call it that, I mean, now that I guess we're skipping toward right toward the end of the episode, why the hell not? We're just talking out loud. Yeah, we've done it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the episode directed by D.B. Weiss here, and I'm thinking about the approach to how they were able to capture this sort of action. And I just thought that it was so much more epic and it felt so much more dangerous than what we've seen before. I know that people really liked his fight with Beric Dondarrion and everybody thought the Flaming Sword was great. But I honestly think that the Hound versus these four to five men with... Arya standing in the background, it, you really couldn't match a better setting for this kind of action. Not to mention the brutal, brutal killing blow in this episode where he grabs the guy by the head and he's got the dagger sticking up from the ground and he just takes the back of his head and it's just like, wham, face, wham, oh, face, wham, oh, face. Oh, I think you're dead now. That's a or new dying. record to what you can show on television, apparently. You know, <laughs> a guy getting his head impaled on a, on a dagger at like the that's there's like close ups and then there's extreme close ups that was like an extreme extreme that's the foreground of well the you shot. usually you're getting stabbed with the dagger but he was stabbing the dagger with his face <laughs> you know it was awesome it was his it was beautiful the, it was a stabbing. brutal brutal death i i almost turned away oh, I, I remember seeing it at the uh at the Barclay Center, and then I knew it was coming, and I was like, I don't know if I can watch it again because it, it, it's pretty nasty. But the Hound, I mean, mad props to him. He was uh, – for a guy who didn't want to go in there, um, he sure let that uh, guy, Polliver, talk, and he sure played with his food before he ate it. And then when he did get into battle, he was doing it from all angles. He was fighting from the floor. He was fighting from – you know, against a wall. And he kicked all of their asses. And, and Arya, like, good for her. She kind of finished a couple of guys off, you know, when, once she got in there. But he sure weakened them for her. And, and that was uh, some pretty badass maneuvers uh, for the Hound. I think that finished them off was exactly perfect, though, because the way it was done, the music, how slow it got, music how creepily she slid the sword in slowly. Like, oh, how, how does this work? Okay, I'm splitting part of your body in half. I got that. Then she sticks it through the next guy and pulls the sword out the other end. It's just like, damn, Arya. Yeah. yeah. It, to me, it was – you had the episode open with Tywin and you know, th there, it's very symbolic what he did to Ice and the, the burning of the wolf pelt on top of that. It really meant to signal the fact that the Starks have been decimated and you see that with Sansa as well with the condition that she's in in the earlier part of this episode. And then at the very end of the episode, you're kind of restored in the faith of the Starks because of Arya and what she's able to do and the fact that she gets Needle back and she's on the road with the Hound and these two are really odd companions, but yet they seem to really get along very well. You know, yeah. There's that moment where he repeats the infamous line, fuck the king, and she kind of <laughs> smirks a little bit. Uh -huh. And I, I felt like the beginning of the episode was a reminder of the fact that the Starks have been dealt a very, very serious blow, but the end was was a reminder to everybody that they're not j done just yet. Well, when you know, put in terms like that, I, I can't help but agree with you. 
So let's talk about everything in between. Now. <laughs> well, there, there was a little bit. I mean, we can't get past the first scene that appeared after the credits, which were upgraded this year, and they look great, especially yeah. with full resolution. That's been a big thing for me for this entire episode because mm-hmm. the pacing feels so much less of a TV show nowadays. It's feeling even more like the book, if that like a movie. makes any sense. No, well, I, I, seriously, I feel like it's page-turning like the book. What was your take on how they opened this episode or, or this season, really? You you had Tywin and then you had it cut to the map and then you had to go back to the show. I felt like there was much more effect than just opening with the snow and then the map. No, I thought it was great. It's done for dramatic effect and, and it was certainly it dramatic and affecting. So it was, it, it, it was, it was good. And um, as soon as I saw that Tywin, that it was Tywin, that it, that was him from behind, you could kind of tell. And I was like, this is going to be a great season. I just said that I was like, man, Tywin is there already and people know who've listened like Tywin's one of my favorite guys I like the actor who plays him and I think as a character he can't be beat but of course we do get into sort of the conversation that he has with Jamie, and that's where I think things started to erode just a, a tiny little bit for me um you know he basically says that he disowns his son but we know how much Tywin cares about his family and he lets him keep the sword so it's kind of like I don't know. It's like an impasse. It's like not something happened to that in one sense. I mean, he just is telling him you can't serve on the king's guard. Jamie says to Cersei later in the episode, "I think Father just tried to disown me." You know, so he does say it. Well, what's happening here is Tywin sees an opportunity for Jamie to take up his seat at Casterly Rock. He is right. now the hand of the king. He's at the capital, and like he says, he's not sure if he'll even see the rock again before he dies. So he's looking to give Jamie something to do because this terrible thing has happened to his favorite person in the world. So he's giving him a new sword. He's helping him with the scabbard. He's offering Jamie an option that he sort of sees in his own mind as the best sort of ending to Jamie's story. Like he's 40 years old. He's going to go get a wife, have some kids. Like he wants Jamie to live a full life like he has. That was weird that they kept bringing up his age like twice, two or three times. Like you're 40, you're 40, you're 40, which means Cersei is 40. Um, but I, I know, I think you're right. I mean, with Jamie and Casterly Rock, um, because we know that he doesn't want to give it to, to, uh, Tyrion. Um, Tyrion has asked in previous, uh, I think it was season three where he asked and then he made a master of coin instead. Um, but he doesn't want to give Casterly Rock to his other son. And so Jamie is the natural and always was the, you know, the firstborn and the natural heir to, uh, the seat. And so somebody's got to take it and it might as well be Jamie now that his days of glory are, are so clearly right. presumably yeah. behind him. No, it's seen as an out. It's seen as an opportunity, as Zach mentioned, right? Because Jamie is injured and the king can really remove anybody he wants from the king's guard. Right. And right. Joffrey would most likely, in this case, listen to Tywin. He's not going to want to have a one-armed man or one-handed man <laughs> fighting for him in dire situations should it come to that. So the tactician that Tywin is, he sees this as a very great opportunity uh, to put Jamie back at Casterly Rock and to let him live out his days there, as was mentioned, raising a family and, and just ruling um, from afar and not having to worry about anything uh, the likes of what he's endured up to this point. But Jamie is too honorable for that in some respects. And then we have Tywin giving Tyrion a nice job. Now, I love the juxtaposition here because 
you know, Jamie is given this new sword. He's given all this care and attention, and it's understandable. He's been gone for a very long time, but Tyrion's been around. We're going to see in our Wednesday episode the beginning of, of Tyrion's rise to power in a certain scenario in, in season two, but now we're in the middle of season four, and Tyrion's already had his job, and he's already been master of coin, and he's been hanging around the capital, sneaking Shay around for a while. So what better thing than to have him do, stand outside of King's Landing in the dust and wait for one of our guests to arrive? <laughs> yes. It was a fall from a grace. slightly it's dangerous guess, by the way. Yeah, very well, slightly dangerous. Well, an unanticipated guess. dangerous guess because he is awaiting the arrival of Prince Doran Martell, and instead gets the Red Viper. Right, but the Martells in general do not have a good attitude towards Lannisters. Which, if you're listening right now, you should know at this point. The story gets told a little bit later, um, but is very, very intriguing. Goes back to sort of the day where everything happened, or the, the series of days, the week where everything happened. Um, the death of Rhaegal and all of his children um, that they could find. Uh, his younger sister and younger brother had escaped. Obviously, that's Daenerys and Viserys. But his children, as well as his wife, who was Prince Oberyn's sister, mm -hmm. um, was murdered. And actually split in two, as they say, by the How or sorry, the Mountain's greatsword. Very, very, very devastating death. And we're meant to believe that... Uh, this was also right around the time that I think uh, Lyanna Stark died um, right around the Roberts Rebellion in the time where everything fell. So it's uh, it's kind of you get a character who shows up with um, bad blood uh, that's that goes back to the past. And Tyrion is clearly intimidated um, yeah. by this. And Tyrion, as always, takes to heart any threats on his family that he finds. And, you know, you we've always seen Tyrion as being a tactical uh, individual, and you just wonder. I mean, he he correctly assumes where Oberyn is uh, when <laughs> he does not show up, uh, and it makes sense. Um, except it seems that Oberyn was there more for his um, bastard wife, uh, which I think is the correct term there. Um, from what I heard about her, she is a sand. Yes, she is a sand. I love these last names. I love these bastard surnames for people. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tyrion kind of lets the whole thing slide. Like Oberyn pretty much clearly states he's there to to kill somebody, and Tyrion doesn't seize him. And uh, Tyrion, as Master of Coin, probably doesn't have that power anymore. But it, it just nothing good can come of Oberyn, and and he's not being. I don't know if he's not playing the game. He just he's not being very subtle about it. I don't think Oberyn came in and declared that he was going to kill somebody. I mean, he definitely made clear to Tyrion that all of your fears about how we feel about you, tell your father I'm here. You, your fears are correct. You know, it's basically there is going to be trouble in some way and some kind of retribution or at least a very long worded conversation. Just going back to the point about the wedding that Oberyn was in King's Landing for the last time around um you know was in fact uh between Rhaegar and Elia right it's brought up right. it's pointed out and Eric you mentioned Lyanna but so does Oberyn right he clearly states that Rhaegar went off for another woman and that's what yeah, started this whole war right he mentions that he doesn't say it was Lyanna but I think that's I think also, we're good enough to uh that's been in the books that, infer yeah. that that's who it was and right. you know he he continues on with the story to say yeah and the war ended here at king's landing and it ended in my sister being raped and murdered it ended in my niece and nephew being murdered and if that was the case and it was done at the hand of the mountain it was your father who gave those orders that's bad news for the lannisters 
This is also grim, Micah. I think you need to tell people about how awesome Braun and Oberyn were together in the brothel. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Because Oberyn was like, okay, you got your job as a knight. I see that. I respect that. He was like, more girls? Yes? Fine. Like, I, I love the moment where, where they made a connection and were starting to be jolly with each other. And that's when yeah. Tyrion was like, eh, no. And Oberyn's like, you don't partake. And he's like, I'm married now. And I was like, oh, well, that's a nice nudge to us. Yeah. And just with Braun, where he asked him, I think Oberyn asked him how he became a knight. He's like, I guess I just killed the right people. <laughs> yeah. I thought, what do you, is hired like murder or hired assassins? I was thought yeah. of that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it, it was great. Cause it, it reminded me of scenes like as this past weekend has gone on, I've, I've watched a lot of the older episodes and just the interaction of certain characters that took place. You forget almost right. That right. Theon and Tyrion interacted with each other at one point. Um, you know, Davos and Gendry interacted with each other at one point. Uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to see characters that maybe otherwise don't necessarily interact with each other in the books. There's opportunity to do it in the show. You know, perfect example, Brienne and Marjorie, uh, in, in this particular episode. But I really think that, uh, there was something that would really endear Oberyn to a lot of fans, aside from just his general swagger and in his that opening scene. Life, <laughs> uh, when the reigns of Castamere, started to be sung yes it pissed me off too immediately flipped a switch yeah yeah (laughs) now he 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 walks in and they're like hey are you lost or whatever he's like i'm sorry for staring (laughs) (laughs) i don't see many lannisters yeah that was kind of cool i thought it was i thought it was Tyrion being funny like you know realizing he was there and summoning him there but uh it was better that it was that it was not Tyrion would never do that to someone that's so horrible yeah, I know. Remember the history between our family? I'm going to go have a few guys sing the Reigns of Castamere to some prostitutes in the next room. It was totally innocent and perfectly timed. And that guy left alive, which actually may say more about Oberyn than I would normally like expect. The fact that he only injured that guy's hand. And look, hand is your life in Westeros, we understand. But, uh, you know, he got those two. He basically just got them out. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you have to take your friend right now and he'll still survive if you go now. Um, he, you know, he got his revenge or whatever, but was able to be cool about it. He's kind of an interesting guy now that I think about it. Can I just give a shout out to the goats that, that yeah. were the, the lady mention? walking the goats when Tyrion was oh. waiting for Oberyn to arrive? <laughs> yeah. The Martells, I should say. No, that was, that was great. Though I love that whole just exterior for King's Landing there when Braun was just posed against the tree and a pod is standing there and Braun's like, what did he say? Like, some, what was the joke? How many Dornishmen does it take to fuck a goat? <laughs> and, and, and Tyrion goes, please no. And you, it cuts to, to Podrick's face and he just is like, eh. You know, like a little laugh. I mean, they're just, it's great comic relief with him and the way they're using him. And then, of course, he was astute and observed all the, all of the sigils coming in. No, it wasn't two yellow balls. It was lemons in a field. It's great camaraderie. And I feel like it was almost a treat for us in the first episode. It was like, Hey guys, we've been away for a while, but here's all these people yeah, you love. Lots of great humor in this episode for sure. Um, Braun is always a source of comedic genius. And then even in the, at the end of the episode, I thought Arya and the Hound were fucking funny. Well, that whole bit, I mean, everything about what was happening in there and the whole everything with the hound and the chickens and about getting thirsty because Polliver kept speaking. I mean, that that whole scene was so dramatic. He was talking about hiring the hound essentially to come along with their party with them and to continue raping the countryside in a lot of literal forms, robbing people because they hide money and they hide more girls. They hide more daughters. You could do well for yourself, hound. And the hound is just sitting here listening to all of this with Arya, showing the depth of that interaction with the response that it triggered afterward 
mixing in all of the humor was a really good recipe. In a way, the Hound really protected her honor in a way by saying that he had obviously besmirched her or whatever, that she was his wife. But you know what I'm saying? Like it kind of gave her a reason to be there that wasn't suspicious and and therefore let uh, Polliver's guard down a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so much so that he even like tried to invite her over or whatever uh, to their side of the room. But it, uh, you know, that was all the hound and it fit with the kind of world that they live in where it was just a believable story. Mm -hmm. um, and Arya, bless her, uh, just went with it. So that's good. Right. Well, I mean, not to not to go back to that, but I feel like we spent a lot of time on that already. But uh, Tyrion, you know, t to get back to him, uh, both him and Jamie, I felt they had really rough episodes. Uh, Tyrion with being sent out by Tywin to meet the Martells and, you know, having to deal with the Red Viper unexpectedly. And then he goes with, um, you know, to meet Sansa and Sansa obviously is in a right state because of what's happened to her family. And then he deals with Shay. It's just like a never ending cycle of Shay. trouble, uh, for, for Tyrion. Shay needs, Shay expects way too much out of Tyrion. Um, very annoying in this episode. Very, very, mm -hmm. very annoying. He's yes. pledged to another woman. He's made it clear that she will get her head cut off and Tywin will be the one to do it, probably with his new sword, um, you know, if he's ever – if she's ever caught. And she doesn't care. She flounces about, screaming, making loud enough noises to be overheard. And we know that she's overheard and discovered and taken – the news is taken by the same woman who overhears it straight to Cersei. So there's the card right in Cersei's pocket. She's going to have the right whore this time. Uh, when when she threatens to kill her, well, it's it's all Shay's fault. And you know what? I don't feel sorry for. If her. you I'm remember, sorry. this is the same woman who Shay threatens with a knife to her throat when she was about to go tell Cersei about Sansa finally getting to that time of the month um, a couple seasons ago. Oh no, I, I didn't realize it was the same woman. So no. a little bit of retribution there, possibly. Um, so Shay's going to get herself killed, but. Really, you know, one of the things that I'd forgotten so about. So optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Really, one of the things that I'd forgotten about from season three, uh, through the break was Varys's offer, um, for Shay to buy herself a house and a couple servants out east, you know, go away because, and he said that Tyrion is one of the few men who can fix the kingdom. Um, but he's distracted by her and, and all that junk. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these days, like in this episode, as, as non offensively as I can try and say this, she clearly was a distraction for him. He had very important things to worry about uh, and to do, and she was distracting him with drama, saying that he loves his wife, who he's promised to. It's it's just it's it was a little over the top for me. It's a little dramatic, a little mellow dramatic. Well, she's um, also being misled though, because Varys and you know last season made it seem like Tyrion was the one who wanted her to go away you know take Did he the make it seem go. or did it, I mean the heart hears what it wants to hear Yeah uh, maybe that's true too but I think that you know she needs to understand that she needs to step to the side and maybe this is a perfect example of Tywin being right in saying you shouldn't have brought her here she's becoming more of a problem than maybe Tyrion initially anticipated she was going to be it's just that her death is going to weigh in on him more than her leaving would. You're, you're assuming she's going to die. I hope she dies, but oh, I also wow. think that that's just the way the world works. Um, this world. I, yeah, this, this world. I'm sorry, this world. But, I mean, I think Varys was right in calling it, and Tyrion knows it as well, and he's warned her. You know, like, hey, if you keep showing up here, it's not safe. I can't protect you. And I think that uh, Tyrion is, is needed now more than ever. 
only one person, I think, in this episode, if I'm recalling correctly, and it was Jamie, said this war isn't over. He told it to Joffrey, mm-hmm. of all people, and and I think he was right. And I think that Tyrion is, again, one of the only men who can fix the kingdom, as Varys had said. And if he's distracted by grief uh, over someone he failed to protect, which it's, at this point it's not his fault, he's not going to be there or able to think clearly enough to, to do it. Um, yeah. And another evil will be had. So Yes. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about Sansa, the other side of uh, Tyrion's... Uh, love triangle triangle yeah uh she really is uh she screwed up i mean given everything that's happened that's not unsurprising and she's in a a really bad mental state but she's somehow able to keep her composure despite everything that's going on um i thought two things uh, that she said uh at the very beginning of the episode were really important um she she really noted how her brother and her mother were killed and you know of course last season we saw what happened to rob um in the season finale where they sewed gray Wind's head onto they his body though that was so upsetting to me that they did show it no well they showed it it's a couple arrows you held... want to show like the seamstress sewing no, no, no. there was no sewing there was no sewing the 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 wolf's head in the episode which i just watched before the oh, premiere it was on spikes is, right? he- is held on by arrows it's oh. not sewing. So it's in the book. I get it. They sewed it, I think, onto his chest in the book. But in the show, it was arrows and the show continuity mm-hmm. meisters. Um, well, it wasn't it wasn't a meister. It was according to those guys by the campfire. It was just like a, a patchwork job. That they yeah, I, it wasn't sewn in the show. And for the show to say it was sewn, I mean, maybe it's just it's a rumor. These whisper down the alley it was mm-hmm. sewn. It was arrows. It's nitpicking. But for me, I was just like, no, that's inaccurate. Um, why grieve right. over that? Well, and the other piece is that her mother's throat was basically cut to the bone. Yeah, and dumped she in the was river. thrown into the river. So not too much uh, respect there for either Rob or Catalan. I wonder if that river flows north. It might. Or south. Or east or west. <laughs> There's many directions a river can Or go. northeast or southeast or... Northwest or Southwest, it's one of those. But Sansa, on the whole, and and, and Sansa did have a bit to do. Um, And, you know, I wanted to mention this earlier. Sir Dantos uh, makes a resurgence uh, to her. When she's in the Godswood, she doesn't want to be disturbed. And there's this game of, like, pitter-patter. Like, she hears footsteps behind her. There's this massive guy. She's being chased by Hodor. Yeah, it it was funny. It It was just kind of a funny, another one of those comical scenes. Um, but he gives her something that's different from, you know, in the books and we, we did read this, but correct me if I'm wrong. It was more of a, like a, like a hairnet or something in, in, in the books. Is this, do I, is my, am I memory blanking on this or it was, it was something different. It wasn't as no, easy right. as like an opaline neck necklace. It was a hairnet. Um, it was a hairnet. So they changed the object, um, as well as kind of its backstory. Right. But and like, I know that the show guys know what they're doing. So it's interesting to see it in this incarnation, though, um, that apparently it was a necklace he hadn't yet pawned for booze, right? Um, which was his mother's for and booze. mother's. Yeah, you know, as uh, somebody who can't handle their own right. lives. But is it really? I mean, there was another scene involving necklaces that took place in this episode. I thought he just grabbed it from the bushes where where uh, Margaret or sorry, uh, Lady Olena had discarded it. Um, but no, he's better than that. On his honor as a knight and a fool. You trust him. I, I do. He seemed to, to think it was very important. 
In fact, he said, this is how you should remember me mm-hmm. when he gave this me. Is the, okay, this is the one problem I had with this episode. Ooh. Um, you talked about mechanics, and I know they didn't show him in the the opening of the episode in terms of last time or previously. Oh, they did, though. Thrones. They did show him. Yeah. Uh, however, I think introducing him the way that they did and just, hey, Sansa, here's a necklace to remember me by, what, two seasons later? Well, uh, that's a little, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like Cersei said to Jamie, too little, too late. <laughs> am I am I wrong on that? I mean, I just thought that throwing in a, a obscure character like Ser Dantos, who possibly could have de- been developed over uh, the last few seasons, at least in maybe some minor scenes, um, and then to just throw him in here and give Sansa a necklace. We don't know what it's for, but I'm sure. It's going to play some role in the future. Like here is plot point. Here is plot right. element from past to that's initiate the one thing this I didn't subplot. think worked. Um, well, because in the books he has re- repeated visits to her in the Godswood, and this is before the Battle of Blackwater. And it, but even in the book, it never really amounts to anything. He, he gives her the hairnet, but then he disappears. And now, because we're not in book three, we don't know if the hairnet ever pays off very quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's but it's just you gotta you gotta. I think you have to swallow it, and I think maybe I'm being too hard on the episode because it can be. Um, you have to swallow things like the Dario Naharis recasting, um, you know, and, and these new characters. The new uh, wildling uh, gentlefolk, the Thresh or whatever they're called, really, too, as well. New villains are being introduced. And this is just kind of how this episode goes with these new kind of facets to the world. It's not bad. It's just one of those episodes that kind of has to exist to set the tone for the rest. Eric, you mentioned um, the Then, right? Then. That we met. Now and Then. Yeah. Uh, A really (laughs) ugly looking person uh, who likes to eat humans under the guise of crows, right? A formidable opponent, I think, now that's going to be joining forces, it seems, with Tormund and Ygritte. And they have plans for Castle Black. You know, they needed some reinforcements, uh, which, you know, at the the, the end of uh, the last season, they had lost a couple guys, including their warg. And on the, what's the word, on principle, I, I, I can't object to learning more about the wildlings. And these are things like throwaway lines, like, well, there are giants and cannibals, and you get them all united by giving them a common enemy, telling them we're all going to die if we don't get south. You know, quotes from previous seasons, um, these guys who are as different as any of, you know, the two families in Westeros, who both hail from North of the Wall, are uniting to stage a, a front on Castle Black, as you said, and, and this is going to be dangerous. And I, I guess I didn't really pick it up in previous seasons, but Jon Snow lays it very clear um, in in the scene where he's, you know, at the hearing, I guess you would call it. Uh, he says they're going to attack simultaneously from the south, the ones who've crossed over, and Mance Raider from the north, and we're going to be in trouble. It was important that in that scene, they've reintroduced Jano Slint uh, and how he managed to be sort of on this council judging uh, Jon Snow is, is a bit beyond me, given that he was sent there by Tyrion uh, and probably should be amongst the... Uh, the regular folk, but uh, it appears also that he's buddy buddied a little bit with uh, Eliza Thorne. I remember Thorne. You a know, bad you combination just, for John. You get a guy to scoff or to to look against John Snow, and can I just say John Snow was wonderful in this episode? 
um, you know, not being somebody who always rallies behind him. I think that he had the, the right um, reasons for, and he was able to justify his actions quite well. Um, of course, his life depended on it, which doesn't, uh, you know, hurt. But uh, I, I thought he did a solid, and I thought Sam and, and he are portrayed as more antagonistic in some of the previews we had seen. But right now, uh, they seem to be getting along just fine, and and even kind of had time to reflect on his brother. Even though it had been a couple weeks, they're kind of all, you know, well, obviously, they're still processing the news. It's big It's big news that yeah. the Starks have been dead. Yeah, and, and I think that you have uh, Mr. Eamon there kind of as the voice of reason. But even somebody like Eliza Thorne realizes the threat um, that is imminent at this point and you know, going and chopping off the head of one of their better fighters is probably not in their best interest right now. Well, he is one of their best fighters. They're going to need his sword and they're going to need his strength. And, he's, and his knowledge. I mean, it's very clear in what he presented to them that he knows a lot having spent time with all of these wildlings. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask was, you know, when Sam gets back at the end of last season and they send the letter, um, you know, we see it go all over. They had 44 uh, ravens, I think, currently, Eamon said to Sam, you know, we're going to write on all of them. We're going to tell everybody what we see. So everybody gets that letter. But we never really got to hear or read all of the contents. It goes to Dragonstone. Stannis reads it. He brings it. He uses it as a trump card uh, to let Gendry go and, and survive. Melisandre reads it, then she burns it. We don't know kind of exactly what he said that would be in some ways more convincing than any of the um, uh, you know requests for help, assistance to the wall. Hey, we've seen White Walkers. I would include, if I were Sam, also here's how to destroy them. Bring all the dragonglass you can from the east or wherever it comes from. You know, I, I would actually start kind of giving information out to large Westeros because this is nothing short of a tremendous siege that they're they're looking at. They're basically looking down the barrel of a gun. I mean, once the wildlings get over the wall, they still have to. All of Westeros still has to contend with White Walkers. Um, who knows when they'll arrive, but. There's just a lot of shit coming at them from up north, and it's it's pretty terrifying. Can I just uh, throw out the the mention that Sir Duncan the Tall got in this episode? That was beautiful. The entire scene going over the Book of Brothers with Joffrey and just sitting there, and Sir Marin's in the same room, and and Joffrey's just dripping his you know malicious scent, if that makes any sense. In the scene <laughs> just before it had that that epic statue, and then it cut right to it, and he was matching that same epic pose. And you know, that's just that whole scene there was just a breakdown, I feel like, uh, of Jamie in a way, because you've got his kid there that he's sort of looking at in the third person because you can't really approach him in that same point right. of view because it's not really acceptable. And he's acting in kind of a snotty way, and I'm sure that as a father, he's not very proud of what's happening. But the cuts that Joffrey makes at Jamie, those are actually founded. You know, where, where are all of his pages? Sir Duncan the Tall has four, <laughs> four pages, pages in the Book of Brothers, and, and Sir Jamie Lannister, you have one page. And it's just kind of sad because... That's the life Jamie wanted to live, and now that he's being faced with the injury he has, it's just not quite attainable as it was before. Jamie is going to have to prove himself to people. He's going to have to win people over again. And look, that's that may not be called for. It's just something he has to do. But Jamie only needs one page in that book of brothers and one sentence. Killed the king. I mean, <laughs> you know, killed the mad king. Well, I say. think it's got to explain more than that. I mean, I mean saved, the story that saved he told everybody, to saved everyone from immolation. Yeah. Like instant <laughs> yeah. from certifiable immolation. You know, that is all. And in, he can bookend the book. He can be the last page in the book because 
that's a pretty good thing for 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 night for somebody to do. I really think that Jamie had a. I know I mentioned Tywin too, or sorry, Tyrion before as well, but I really think Jamie had the worst episode of anybody, um, from Tywin to Joffrey to Cersei. You know, blaming him for what happened with Ned and basically setting everything into motion because of their little fight out on the street outside of Baelish's whorehouse. Oh, yeah. And very insensitive words about his hand, even though, I mean, it's not necessarily that she has to be sensitive about it, but very insensitive words regarding his hand. And it could have something to do with her drinking more, like he noticed. Yeah. And what were her symptoms? I mean, that's something that we didn't get any clarity on, really. No, he just knows her that well, we have to believe. Or it was a really nice way to make fun of Maester Pycelle, smelling like <laughs> cat piss or a dead cat or whatever it was. That was a circular argument. He smells like cat piss. Well, what would a cat piss smell like? Well, it smells like <laughs> Maester Pycelle. Yeah, what but, came first, uh, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, exactly. The, the scene between Jamie and Brienne, I thought it was good to see their reactions beyond the kind of madness they had to live in before. And I know we loved the idea of them traveling together, but I really like them in a safe place, having a safe conversation Definitely. with shampooed and conditioned hair, if that makes any sense. <laughs> shampooed and conditioned. You were talking about Jamie having a rough uh, episode. I wanted to talk about the the incident with his hair, man. <laughs> you liked it. Garden. It made sense. No, I don't. The buzz Him saw. and Pod. He and Pod both got haircuts. It looks terrible on them. It's not... It's, I'll just, right. I, there, I've said it. Okay. I just think is that, is that why you didn't like the episode? <laughs> what? Is that, uh, is that no, your foremost reason for? Certainly not. I've uh, stated other reasons far more uh-huh. um, reasonable. I think. It, it no, didn't I, take I, me out of it though. Seeing Jamie in that room with that awesome desk right before he made the awesome hand wave with his hand when he was yeah, getting fitted like a <laughs> hand. I mean, he yeah. just looked clean. He looked stately. He looked like he deserved, or he looked like he belonged in a place like that. When just outside of those walls, you know, 100, 200 yards away, 300, 500 yards away, there's people starving. They have these brilliant homes, it looks like, that people in our modern day now on a totally different planet that actually exists would love to have, would pay lots of money to have. And I just thought the whole clean-cut attitude with Jamie, I know it's been something that people have talked about online and socially and that Eric doesn't really prefer. But for me, I just felt like it made sense because these are rich people. He's a Lannister and he's back home. He's, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like I, I maybe I've gone a couple days without having the cleanest hair out of everybody I know. Um, but ha- certainly having it in mud and, uh, you know, f- um, feces, feces, uh, you know, and all that stuff for all that time, uh, would probably ruin the hair. You'd probably need to cut it that short just to get all the mites out. Um, so there's that. I don't know what happened to Pod though. Pod's got some some serious bugs he had to get his hair cut for, but uh, I don't know, man. One thing that I noted was in that scene with Tywin uh, that he has, uh, you know, when he's talking about uh, Oathbreaker, and he asked him, would you have me break another oath by, you know, giving up his uh, job as being a member of the Kingsguard, right? And But yet, when he's talking to Brienne, he's more than willing to break his oath to Catelyn Stark. Was it an oath or a vow? <laughs> What's the well, difference? Well, I mean, yeah. you're just looking at him depending on the situation. Look, his argument, of course, a man uh, kind of justifies his actions any way he wants to, right? Um, but the battlefield has changed quite a bit from that time when he last saw Catelyn Stark. Catelyn's dead. Uh, his, you know, this girl, Sansa, has married his brother. So is he really to run off with his sister-in-law? You know, where? how far will he get? 
that whole yeah. exchange was brilliantly set right above Sansa, and they were just sort yes. of looking down at her. That was yeah. well done. That's something that they haven't necessarily done in the show before. And I think that the way that broke off into Sansa's walking through the foliage and then meeting Dantos was good. But but just particularly that conversation, I felt like Jamie was standing on so much of a ground because there's only one Stark girl there, and the one that is there is his sister-in-law now. And his argument that where would she be safer other than here – it really holds strong. That's why I feel like Brienne didn't have anything to come back at him with. Oh, but she did. She said, can you look me in the eye and tell me she's safe? That's hardly an argument, though. Oh, uh, well, yeah, okay. Because I guess you really can't be safe oh, anywhere he, in that world. he got it from her, too. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't a good episode to be Jamie Lannister. I guess not. And he was. What did he say? He was like, you know, everyone's been giving me hell today in my family. You're, you, you have the hair to be a Lannister, but not <laughs> the looks. <laughs> not the looks. She did have yeah. some nice blonde hair, and I was just seeing sure she just really looked like a Lannister. Yeah, yeah, are you yeah. sure we're not really? That was good. You know, I really liked um, Jamie and Brienne looking back uh, over the rewatch, and this is a recent development because, you know, during the show, I didn't really care for it when we first watching it. But uh, Jamie and Brienne are, I think, two of my, they're just my favorite relationship next to Arya and the Hound. And, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. They're just good to watch on screen together. And you hope that they'll get more time together. Well, maybe your mind will change when you go back and rewatch these episodes and you're not making a podcast right after. You'll 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 go back and you'll realize that, hey, maybe it's not as bad as you thought. You'll really hey, like you it. Know, mm-hmm. You know, this is right after, as you point out, and it is a podcast where we're just kind of stream of consciousness going back through the episode. Things we thought were weird and things we thought were cool. That's you know, it's right. All we, it's all we can do uh, on Sunday nights here. When we have <laughs> nothing but a work uh, work week ahead of us that. Uh, to to bum us down. <laughs> well, before we close the show, we have a certain mother of dragons ahead of us. I think we oh, have to speak about in great, great detail. She got big ass dragons. They're too big. They're exa- I I think that that is probably I I couldn't be I couldn't possibly be alone in thinking that they grew too fast. Um, but what she did with the signposts is very honorable, and her way of handling every obstacle that comes you know to her door including gambling <laughs> of uh her closest confidants uh she can handle it and she's she's a doer she's a handler and she really you can get behind the th- everything that she does um danny is is one to root for danny is one to count on and now she's actually got the army that mm-hmm. she wanted for so long ago and She's going places. I certainly hope it's more than just a Marine this season. That girl, she's going to go places. Yeah. She's going to make girl. something of herself. What did you guys think about the new Dario? It's... He's good. I like the scene um, You know when they were talking about strategy. Uh, strategy. I felt like they needed to include Dario early on uh, in this season, even <laughs> you know this episode, I guess, um, You know, recast because people weren't going to – uh, necessarily identify directly with him uh, because they have no clue who he is uh, aside from Daenerys saying his name and people would say well hold on a second that's not Dario doesn't look like Dario not the Dario that uh, existed in season three so uh, I think they did a good job establishing him he had a couple scenes you know the one with Grey Worm and then um, the, one the, the one with Danny yeah and and I thought strategy is important I mean he was really teaching her there he was telling her yeah. you know you need to know what it is that you're getting yourself into. You need to know the people, you need to know the place. And you know, he's teaching her about being an effective ruler um, and, and knowing her people more than just showing up and, and liberating them. It was good for us watching though, being sly with the flowers, you know, mm. like, Oh, it's a matter of strategy. Here's a flower. She's like, do you want to walk <laughs> at the back and without your okay. shoes? 
Yeah, and here, here's this other one, too. This is the Dusk Rose. If you drink it with hot, steeping water, it'll make you go to sleep. And it's just like, oh, Dario. <laughs> so wait, wait, Eric, you didn't um, comment on Dario's new hair color Casting wise, look, you, there are some things you just can't control in the world. Uh, was it jarring? Yes, but it, they dove right into it. And you have to respect that. As you say, he had plenty of scenes. I think the new guy's just great. You can't really fault him for not being the old guy, you know? Right, yeah. It's, so there's, uh, you know, I have no comment. I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, you know, they're just going to they're gonna go forward. It was just one of those weird things that happened in production. So one more thing before we get uh, to our owns here, and uh, it does involve Brienne, but I thought it was important uh, from a character development standpoint that Brienne felt the need to go to Marjorie yes. and tell her, what really happened to Renly, not just to absolve herself of any wrongdoing, but she actually felt that it was going to be meaningful in some way to Marjorie to let her know how Renly died. But really, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think Marjorie cares how it happened. You, you think less of Marjorie for her reaction in this scene. There was no heart to heart. There was no... Uh, yes, I loved Renly. You know, she's past it. She kind of has to be. Um, her mother in the past has always warned her about, you know, watchers on the walls and an ear listening in every corner. So, you know, her response there, you know, Joffrey is our king now, seems really cold. Perhaps it has to be. Well, it's I mean, the, it's just like Olena said to her when she was making the crack about the sparrow necklace. Not here, not even in front of me, not yeah. even with just me. You basically have to stop doing all of that. You're about to marry the king. You're about to become the queen. And King's Landing is a very dangerous place. So I just think she was playing her cards close to her chest. But I mean, with Brienne, she almost didn't have to. She was in Ring Renly's Kingsguard, you know. So it's like, well, there's one person you can open up to. But at the same time, I thought it was an important, as you say, character development for for Brienne to get that off of her chest and, and, and kind of really it made sense if Marjorie's going to be or Marjorie's going to be the new queen um, to to make sure that you're not on her shit list. Uh, it's, it's kind of especially if you're going to be spending any duration of time in King's Landing. And, you know, that's the other thing that it's been a couple weeks and Brienne is still there. And, you know, they're kind of both uh, her and Jamie are trying to figure out, well, what they're going to do now. Um, and I'd like to see what sort of Brienne's future has in store for her because I, I like her now more than ever. It's the hairdo, isn't it? <laughs> if there's one person who likes her more than I do, she, uh, one person that likes her more than I do, it's uh, Lady Elena. She, she was struck with her, huh? Of Brienne. Oh, we just get to look at you. Oh, God, you're a tall drink of water. Uh, and Brienne's expecting to be insulted the way she always is. She's yeah. totally expecting to be like, you're a tall woman. You know, but no, she's just like, you're the one who put my grandson in the ground. Like, you know, put put his face in the dirt or whatever she's Yes. Like. So let's, we're going to end on a high note then. We're going to end right there, yes. I think. And we're going to get into our owns of episode one. Uh, can I go first? Take our first yeah, own, all right. please. All right. You must go first. Uh, you mentioned he made it into the recap, uh, the influence of Ned Stark still being relevant uh, to this day. I'm giving an own to Ned Stark for mostly his sword, which Tywin describes as being, I believe the words are so absurdly freaking huge <laughs> that... It broke down into two swords, not one, but two. And it's not like he was just like, you know, drawing it thin to be like, I need to make two, one for my son and one for somebody else. Uh, it actually was just a great sword. It was such a big sword 
that it made two smaller swords, which aren't short swords by any stretch of the imagination. So, yes, Ned for be, for having that absurdly large. I got to get that quote. Um, thing he said to, from to wield, someone uh, who no longer had need of it. Yes, that was Tywin's uh, line. Bless, bless Ned Stark. You get the own and ice, of course. Uh, is no more, so a moment of silence for ice. Well, in the uh, report that I did um, for my trip to the Barclays Center, I did give my own uh, from this episode to Eamon, Maester Eamon, um, for his line about King's Landing and how he is uh, so aptly able to tell when people are lying, the fact that Mm -hmm. he grew up in King's Landing. But in watching the episode through again, I figured I'm going to need to give a little bit of a Different own here I, because it was just one of the best lines in the entire episode, mm-hmm. and uh, it goes to the hound, and it's it's just when he's he's standing there with Arya in the bushes, and he's like, "What the fuck's a lami? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's a lami? Yeah, yeah." She's going on about her lami. Her lami lies over the ocean. Her lami lies over the sea. Oh god, bring back my lami. Oh, he's like, "What the fuck's a lami?" That was a funny line. I loved it. Deciding an own for this episode was particularly hard. I am not sure because there's so many great moments. I mean, ranging from Pod's reaction to the joke, ranging from the joke itself, ranging from everything that Braun did in the entire episode, uh, ranging from the incredible nod towards Sir Duncan the Tall, which I just warmed my heart so much when it happened. Yeah. yeah. Between Grey Worm and Dario having a contest from midnight until well into the morning by position of the sun's standards, holding their weapons directly in front of them. I've done a contest like that similarly but not with weapons and i can tell you that it didn't last that long and it wasn't just to walk beside a girl on our way to a new place so <laughs> that's also really good i mean this episode is is truly full of owns we could talk particularly just about Oberyn stabbing the lannister man through the top of the wrist with his dagger and he called him what did he call him he was just called him i think that you're a short pink man who's slow to the draw. I mean, I'm just, just, just destroyed him. And I thought it was brilliant. I mean, or you could track back to, to Oberyn's situation when he was shopping for people and he took the guy that came to sell the prostitutes. He said, Oh, you can stay because I'm a prince. And he got what he wanted because he was a prince. Yeah. I think probably what I'll have to give it to honestly is the hound chugging Polliver's drink. After he kept talking and he kept oh, saying how yeah. thirsty he was. That's why I have to give it to the hound gets my own of this episode for taking a man's drink and drinking it right in front of him. I mean, that's fair, right? Yes. I hope that everyone listening at home can agree with that. That might not have been the most impressive one. There was <laughs> so agree. much to happen. Or you could give it to him for in this episode. chicken on the way out of the... He's going to have to eat all the chickens in this room. <laughs> <laughs> one more word comes out. <laughs> oh, man. We've asked on Twitter, we've said, hey, this episode happened tonight. You know what to do. It's Game of Owns. We're back from last year's season three read through. And a lot of you guys are listening maybe for the first time and you're not exactly familiar with what we're about to do. This is what it is. You tell us what we just told you. That moment or moments in the episodes that blew your mind or was a little bit more witty than the rest. We sometimes read them back to you with music playing behind it. And sometimes we con Eric into doing the entire thing. And sometimes we call it Eric's goal. Reads tweets really, really, really fast. Mara Quinn says, then own some poor night's watchman. Aww, that was sad. That it was. Sad. Jasmine Alvarado says, my own goes to Arya. What can I say? Not only is she badass, but she knows she's badass. She does. Oh, yeah. Hashtag. Brady Furar gets clever and says Arya is the owner of Needle again. Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs> Miss Lane also agrees with us. What the fuck's Alami anyway? <laughs> what is Alami? Not Den, says George R. R. Martin for sure. Anyone who's read the most recent chapter released for Winds of Winter would agree. Mm. Oh. 
Spoilers. Yes. Okay, interesting. Quiet, Micah. Brandon Bryce. Here's a good one. The dragons own the episode because when they want to eat, you better get out of the way. Dragon puberty <laughs> is rough. I know, Brandon. It's hard <laughs> to get through, buddy. Hang in there. Oh, I feel terrible for Angie, and all of the listeners at home showed as well. She tweeted us, HBO Go owned my ass by pretending to be a reliable streaming service, only to epically fail when I most needed it. I've heard the complaints. <laughs> oh, no. I haven't personally suffered those issues, but... I feel bad for Angie all the same. Emily Farmer has spoken for everyone else who didn't uh, tweet into us by saying Arya gets all the owns. Mm -hmm. There you go. Deneen Cole, fun with emoticons. Arya got her horse and her sword back, except I think the sword is like... (laughs) A rocket. The the sword is a uh, (laughs) a needle. It's a needle. It's a needle. It's perfect. Her needle back. Deneen Cole wins. Something. I think we should retweet the Dean Cole thing. This is just too good. Cool. Right, it's being done. Handsome pig. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't there. be laughing at this. These guys are great. I love doing this again. My own goes to Oberyn Martell doing what or who he wants. There you go. David and Dan for some pretty sweet foreshadowing, says Amy Christina. Oh, we'll see what uh, she means by that. Snow Lisi says the own of the episode goes to D&D for having the balls to say that Rhaegar left Elia for another woman. Ooh. Hashtag still in disbelief. I wonder if that was a secret. I don't know. Keep going. You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> okay. Amy Christina says own also goes to Meister Eamon for being the sassiest, quote, I grew up in King's Landing. <laughs> there you go. Michael Cerrone uh, also stated that circular argument smells like a dead cat. What does a dead cat smell like? It smells like spice L between Jamie and Cersei. Oh, gosh. And just a few more here. Amy Christina again says, Owen goes to Elena for being Brienne's number one fan. True dat, Amy Christina. True dat. True dat. We heard from Mary Quinn once more. Joffrey owned Jamie when he called him out on not having any heroic deeds to put in the King's Guard book. And John Newman says Arya stabbing that dude who killed Lamy. Short and sweet. <laughs> Josh Williams agrees the own has to go to Arya for killing some guys to prove her horse worthiness. Own goes to Tywin melting ice. Hate that he did that, but pretty badass regardless. Hashtag who gets the other sword? That's what I want to know. Jolene Wilson says best line for the night. Tyrion to Sansa quote I admired your mother. She wanted to execute me, but I admired her. Katie Flores, Jon Snow owns for finally not being a pussy. That was Eric Skull, read the tweets in. However many seconds it took. What you just heard was a collection of things you've done. Now, obviously, we've left probably a good 700 hanging on our Twitter list because it's just a lot to wade through. But if you make your tweet pretty much the coolest of all time or something that maybe I could borrow and sound a little bit more clever with on an episode and not have to go through four or five options, you should send it our way. Only one man at this show knows where to send it. And we ask that man yet again to speak his mind at this moment. Tweet at us, at Game of Owns on Twitter, just like all of the people we've read from the tweets. Of course, you can also scroll upon our Facebook wall. We'll get to more of the feedback that we get from you throughout the week uh, on our Friday episode, our scheduled Friday recap episode. Friday. Yes, Friday. But in the meantime, scroll upon our wall at Facebook.com slash Game of Owns. And you can always email us, contact at gameofowns.com. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of these tweets because the tweets just keep on coming. It's like a never-ending supply of some good quality ownage. Some nice red Well, L. I mean, it was, it was a strong episode, man. There was some strong owns, and I think that everyone is reacting like this is all they can do, but just let it out in their fingers. You know where else they can let something out? Where, Micah? On iTunes.
Yes, it is the place where you can rate and review our show. Uh, and it is the time of year that uh, a lot of people are going to be interested in some companion content um, with the season just premiering earlier this evening as we record here. And uh, we want to be able to be that companion, just like we're that companion for you. So uh, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rate and review in the month of April. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. That's just the way it works based upon our deal with iTunes, which, you know, we, for legal reasons, we can't get into, you know, too much about, but let's just suffice it to say, um, five stars, that's the way it goes. And, uh, we do appreciate it and we'll read them on the show, you know, definitely on Friday's episode. Uh, if we have some new reviews to read, uh, we will share them all with you. If you were with us last year, you know to expect a brand new commentary series coming your way. We're starting season two on Wednesday. We couldn't be more excited. And then, of course, we have our Friday mailbag roundup episode looking ahead to the second episode of the season, uh, which we saw a nice little preview for uh, at the end of tonight's episode. But I'm excited to see some other characters uh, that didn't make it into this first episode, and yeah, there were quite a that few of them. List. There's, uh, is there quite a few? Would you I say? Think so. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, there's the Hodor and Bran, uh, Rick and Anasha. If they're ever going to show those guys separate, uh, no, they're gone the, for a while. In, uh, in the reads, okay. And then there's also uh, Stannis and Melisandre. Who else am I forgetting? Oh, Davos. You can put him in there. Oh, of course. That, well, okay. That, that you're forgetting that, about your favorite character. So Theon is my favorite No, but I'm talking about your favorite character, Theon. Oh, Theon. Oh. Yeah, you forgot him. You mean Reek, though, right? Reek. Because the last time we saw him, he was getting that name pummeled into him. You yeah. see, people, we're still trying to wrap our minds around season four. The it's bolts. only just begun, and we've got all of these days ahead of us to share what we think are some pretty exciting plans, not to mention rounding a lot of it out with some con appearances later this year. It's just going to be exciting. Some live show action, some fun stuff. So if you're listening for the first time and you're afraid of Micah because he sounds so beautiful... Let me just warn you that in person, he's almost as bad. So Yeah, man, just a lot to look forward to. I'm excited. And uh, Varys, Littlefinger, neither of them made an appearance in this episode. You see? There's still so much to do. Oh, man. You know, the first two episodes are like two halves of a whole. The last season did this, too. It just showed everybody else, too. We love you guys. Please don't ever leave us, even when the violinists play. That was Eric Skull. That was Zach Louie. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Of course, I want to go into tonight's the night. Come get it up. <laughs> no, like, now we're thinking of the Black Eyed Peas song. We got a slam. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the jam. jam. Are we still recording? Body, make so, sure you, know, you don't hurt nobody. Is it R. Kelly?